Cooper, it's good to have you back. Wow, Zach, it's good to see your beautiful eyes, but the rest of your face is covered by that buff. But hey, oh, it's all right. I'm sick of it. But it is good to see you. It's good to have you back. I'm sick of I'm sick of buffs. I'm sick of having to avoid people. Oh, thanks. We also we sound muffled. We're, we're in our masks. We're in our masks. We're also in the car. We. I mean, <laughs> I literally just got off the plane that I affectionately refer to as the humdinger. The humdinger. Tell, tell the people a little bit about the humdinger. Yeah, so I just came from Branson for a wedding, Jonathan Linder's wedding. He's already married, but this is one of the COVID things that we're doing. <laughs> so we're gonna pretend that it's the first time, I guess. I don't yeah, know. I don't know how we're gonna do it. But anyways, I uh, left camp this morning at 5 a.m. and drove to the airport, uh, which the airport for Harrison, Arkansas, looks <laughs> like a Walgreens. Yeah, it really does. It's about the size of... I wish I would have taken a picture. It's about the size of a Walgreens. And um, the planes hold about nine people. Yeah. It's a Walgreens with some, like, toy planes in the yeah. back. Yeah, propeller planes. They look like JJ the jet plane. Do you remember yeah, exactly, JJ? dude. That's me. <laughs> you literally are JJ the jet plane. I am, dude. But, Cooper, I've flown on these planes before, and I think I have a, a funny experience. I'd love to hear it, man. So There's nothing I'd rather hear more than about a past experience. <laughs> oh, that's, that's what this is for. Me and Reed Towns, you know Reed. Shout I out do. Reed. Shout out Reed Towns. We had to go up to Branson, so we thought, well, I love also these bumpy roads. It's amazing. Yeah. We're, we're in the car, by the way. We <laughs> literally just are now seeing each other for the first time. <laughs> this is the only time we have to do this. Right. Anyway, me and Reed are on this plane, and we're flying, and all of a sudden, we're like, we're descending a lot earlier than we thought we should. Hmm. At like, like a... What like a happening? dangerously quick rate, or uh, it wasn't too dangerous, but it was violent. Okay, and we're going down. That's an interesting. And so, like, we're if going you, down. We're, not, we're we were going down. I mean, we were going down. You were landing. We were landing. Okay, don't say going down when talking about planes. Dude. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. We're landing, and when we hit the runway, I literally look over out my window and I see a sign for a Phillips 66 gas station. <laughs> no, I'm not joking at all. Okay, and the. We, he stops the plane, the pilot stops it, and he gets us all off. And he's like, so sorry, guys. Like, I guess y'all's luggage was super heavy or something. We have to stop and get gas. And, and I was like, you're kidding me. Just we're, on Phillips 66, we're literally at a Phillips 66 in, like, Fort Smith, Arkansas. And I walk in with the pilot. He hands the guy his credit card. He, he pays for it. They had free cookies. I had so many cookies. And then I walk back out as I'm talking to the cop or to the, to the pilot. The pilot. The pilot. As he's filling up the plane manually himself. And so it was just like I was in a car on a road trip with my dad. And we were just filling up the car. But, I mean, we made it the rest of the way. We, we were safe. Uh, wow. But that's like a little, the little taste of the humdinger. The flight is not far that you no. were on. It's a two-hour flight. I just did it. So yeah. that, means that, that means that they didn't have enough fuel to, for a two-hour small little flight. That shows you how tiny these planes are, people. Oh, yeah. We, I mean, we barely made it. I'm so glad you're alive. I mean... It's a miracle. There's my keys. Uh, make it a little shift here. Going reverse. We missed the house we're supposed to go to. Gotcha. <laughs> it's all right, guys. We're glad you, you could just join along with uh, Zach and Coop in the car for this early morning episode. Yeah, we like to keep it casual. Absolutely. <laughs> you, you know, know we feel like we're close enough. We've put on enough episodes that this isn't a regular thing, but every once in a while. I it's mean, fun. What, what else are we gonna do? We have this is the only time we have. That's right. And we're just gonna do it. Uh, should we just talk about who we're going to have on today? Let's do it. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listening, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, in the car with my co-host, Kuma Culla. Masks are up. That's right. 
And, uh, uh, the car is Lysoled. He actually has a pocket-sized Lysol. I'm holding it. If you get coronavirus this weekend, it's not from my it's car. It's not me, dude. I promise you it's, it's not, not from my car. It's not your fault. That's right. Anyway, we've got a great episode today, Coop. We've got a great episode. It's uh, with my new friends. They're actually from Dallas. We talked about hanging out, maybe. Well, that's where we are now, Dallas. We are in Dallas. They're a married couple. Ooh. The first married couple we've had on. And wow. they just released a book. And it's called The Purpose Factor. And it's, it's talking a lot about how people our age, young people, they talk to millennials about... Rather than just simply finding what you're passionate about, you have to find your purpose. And, uh, and just go for it. And how so many millennials miss this. This is Brian and Gabrielle Boucher. And they are some amazing people. It was so fun to get to talk to them over a Zoom call because, you know. You know, COVID. <laughs> you know. That's how things go. That's how it be. Uh, but they wrote a book. Uh, you should go check it out. We're going to cut this one short because we're in the car. This is all the time we have. Check it out. The book is called The Purpose Factor. Here's my interview with Brian and Gabrielle. Well, guys, welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast. I'm so excited you could be with us. I, I want you to start by introducing yourself. Who are you? This is one of our first episodes where we, one, have a married couple, but then two, they're together at the podcast at the same time. So introduce yourself. Who are you? What do you all do? How did you meet? And, uh, and, and why, why are you on here? Well, the conversation about how we met depends on who it is that that's you're true. talking to. That's totally true. Um, that could be a whole met, other podcast. That's, that's exactly right. So, I mean, we met on Facebook because we're like old school millennials. Yeah, elder. Uh, <laughs> elder, elder millennials, right? Yeah. Facebook. None of this Instagram, whatever, dating app. Yeah, Tinder, none of that Facebook, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So yeah, so we yeah, we met on on Facebook, um, I guess, like six years ago or so. Mm -hmm. And um, purpose is really what drew us together. And we'll go a lot um, deeper into that. But yeah. um, kind of this shared purpose and respect for one another's purpose, I think has been a really um, kind of clear um, distinction from us kind of from from the start. But um, yeah, I'm Gabrielle Boucher. This is my husband, Brian Boucher. Brian. You can yeah. go ahead and introduce yeah, yourself. I mean, it's so, we're going to probably get into this, but yeah, since we're your first couple on, on the podcast, yeah. uh, it, it, and we'll get into the purpose part about that. It's so funny how much purpose has brought our marriage tighter and our relationship tighter. And it, it's, it's fascinating because so I think so many, uh, relationships are, um, only connected by a discussion of daily logistics. Who's going to pick up Johnny? Who's going to pick up Susie? Yeah. Who's going to go to the store and get groceries? And those are important things and we have to maintain our life. Don't forget your kids. Don't forget your kids. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I think there's a really uh, a deeper place that uh, couples can go if they know who they are individually and who they are together at the same time. Hmm. That's amazing. And y'all have written a book on this. It's called The Purpose Factor. And that's really what we want to talk about. So, so start there. You, did y'all write it together? And, and what was the purpose behind What was the purpose, if you will, uh, behind writing it? What kind of led y'all to that? Yeah, great. I mean, great question. We um, uh, had, we're, we both kind of came up individually in our entrepreneurship journey. Um, seven years ago, almost, uh, I discovered the beginnings of what became The Purpose Factor. And I was on this journey to figure out is there a more practical way to discover purpose? Is It feels so emotional, like I need to drive to the top of a mountain, discover it in a sunset or something like that. But what if it's cloudy that day? That kind of thing, right? Very emotional. And so um, I discovered the beginnings of that about six, seven, six and a half, seven years ago. And Gabrielle um, had been uh, studying generations and now for over a decade and wanted to be a, a kind of a, a translator for her generation to leaders, especially in corporate America. Yeah. And we recognized that there was this, this kind of binding agent between 
both of our visions to help people discover their purpose and also bring about some sense of generational reconciliation in the marketplace. And it, it seemed kind of a natural fit for when we began this journey at three years ago now to get the book, because it took two and a half years to get the book deal. And, and uh, 70. 79 publisher turndowns where that is a badge of honor. Wow. But, uh, but, but that's where we decided to bring this together. And I, it's been a beautiful thing. I and mean, yeah, we wrote the book together. That's a great thing for your marriage. Yeah, um, we, yeah we wrote the book together and, uh, and, and it was a lot of fun. Um, but it's so interesting to see, you know, the color of each of our talents and each of our purposes interacting inside of the book. Yeah. And I think also to that journey of, like Brian was saying, of being able to individually find our purpose and yeah. then be able to kind of as a couple find your collective purpose. Because I know a lot of your listeners are kind of in that position where maybe they're like looking for their other person and mm -hmm. maybe they're kind of getting that, um, that kind of constant comparison mindset of like, okay, well, so-and-so just got engaged or like, so-and-so, like I went to a small Christian undergrad. So yeah. it was the ring by spring, like, because I graduated and I not only was not in a relationship, I didn't date the entire time during my undergrad. Right. Uh, and I was graduating going to, you know, the, the flurry of, of, um, weddings right afterwards. I remember like my mentors, my friends, my professors being like, it's okay. Your time will come. Like, <laughs> like I was like a bagel well, going stale on that, the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to make it. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to make it. Um, but I, I think that just the discovery of going deep within yourself. And it's such a cliche, I think, that you hear from older people that find yourself first before you find your other half. Mm. But it's so true because yeah. there's no way that you can actually grow together if you don't know yourself. If you don't have a clear identity about who you are and who you're supposed to help and frankly, where you're going with life, there's no way you're going to be able to pick a partner correctly. So I think that we were really intentional in our own individual journey. Brian had gone through a divorce mm -hmm. and a layoff um, and that before we ever met. And so that was, I think, kind of something that recalibrated him. My own journey was really unique in that I did a lot of the should do's. Like I went to, I finished college. I was one of the first people in my family to go to college and graduate. Then I went on and got my master's because it was like the arms race of education. Like if you can't figure out what to do, go back right. to school and get Sorry. more debt degrees. It was degrees. that for millennials. That's true. Yeah, arms and, race. That's good. And, That's a good term. And I, I graduated just with more debt and less direction. Right. And I just didn't know what to do next. And so I just waited for people to either discover me or give me a job offer. Mm. And it took me having those journeys, like Brian talks about, you shouldn't go to the top of a mountain, but I, I did. I went to Hawaii and I oh, was right. on. <laughs> you, did, you did the no find way. yourself in Hawaii trip. I, I can't tell you how many people we've met that have done the find yourself in Hawaii trip and to only come back three days later, $15,000 lighter and still have it no purpose. Cheap. It ain't cheap to go to Hawaii and find I mean, I wish I could uh, go find myself in Hawaii right now. It sounds yeah. pretty nice. I like to find really myself in a chair in Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna find my purpose yeah. in Hawaii. But it was that, yeah. that journey though. I did have that moment where I was separated because I truly do believe that if you want to change your mental environment, you need to change your physical environment. Right. That could be over a weekend to do like a getaway and reset, or it could be moving somewhere new or you know, completely changing your environment of friends, relationships, even your job. I'm a firm believer in that. And so for me, I did need to, to remove myself from my physical situation because it was becoming so comfortable that I was checking off all the should do boxes. Mm -hmm. I woke up one day, I was 23 years old and I was like, this isn't where I want to be. Right. And it became kind of typical, like the quarter life crisis, everyone around me was like, Gabrielle, you're working in DC. You're, you know, you have this great job. You get to travel all around. I mean, I would 
I had what I thought would be my dream life, but it wasn't enough. So Brian and I have kind of two different experiences where my life, everything was going great. And then I still had that question of there's something more here. And then Brian's like, Completely mine looked like a plane, <laughs> mine looked like a plane crash. Like yeah. it wasn't. I didn't check off all the supposed to boxes. I ran right. into all kinds of things, um, and and, that, and we all have a different uh, experience as we discover our purpose. But I, I think it's really important to be intentional about discovering your purpose. You know, my yeah. story. She hinted at it. I came out of law school with a dream job. I was working as a national journalist covering government corruption and terrorism. Got laid oh. off less than a year later, and then my divorce was final the same month I got laid off. So I was broke, divorced fired, whatever you want to call it. And I was in this really dark place. I had never experienced depression before. I discovered that. Um, And in that, I had a bunch of great mentors around me telling me to, hey, you need to find your purpose. There was a, a command and a charge, go find your purpose. But there was no how. Yeah. There was no process. They just told me to do it. And I'm like, that sounds emotional. And I got like lawyer kind of journalist brain. I'm very logical left to right. And so it led me to this uh, question, are there parts to purpose? And it turns out that there are, there are four parts to purpose. And um, that made it much more sequenced for me. It it, it gave me the ability to get specific about who I was and not just try to determine who I was through some kind of emotional experience. And when you take it uh, very intentional and you take it very left to right, um, it can produce an extreme amount of clarity in your yeah. life. And you can start making decisions with a better, more firm, more certain uh, filter, if you will. Yeah, that's amazing. And it really resonates with me too, because whenever someone tells you, find your purpose, you're like, oh, okay, you sound really great and philosophical saying that, but what do you mean? Like, what are, what are the steps behind saying that? And Gabrielle, when you were talking, I was like, I'm in it now. I am getting married in August. And so it's like, I'm in the middle of, of figuring that out and then going to the flurry of weddings, like what you're talking about. But it's so cool to see y'all stories match up and then create one story that is uh, just full of purpose. And so that's where I want to start is how did y'all stories come together to create this? Because we know we have the generational side wanting to educate on the generation reconciliation, if you will, and then even just this purpose side and wanting to find those. So how did those come together? How did those mend? And then how did that lead into this book and what y'all are doing now at the Purpose Company? Yeah, I mean, Gabrielle, you were training companies and executives on how to understand the next generation of talent. And I had just come out of this deep, dark place of depression right when we met uh, and discovered a process by which to discover purpose. And then when we got married, I started a company the first week we got married, my very first company. I taught people how to become self-published authors, how to do Facebook ads, how to start their own business. We were like and, moving in together with oh, the yeah. U-Haul and he's like taking sales calls and I'm like <laughs> driving this giant U-Haul. He's like, yeah, it's just really windy outside. And yeah. we're like going over bumps, moving in together. Yeah. It was, yes. It was a mess. That was the first two years of our marriage where we both had our own companies. We had similar, oh, we had overlaps, but really we were doing two independent things. And then we recognized about two, two and a half years in, wait a second, so many, so many of the things that we're doing are very complementary to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when we decided that it might be a lot easier for us to be exponentially more successful in helping people because that's at the end of the day, that's what matters most. Right. Um, exponentially more successful if we took what she knew about generations and how they interact. Take what I know about the discovery of purpose, the specific discovery of purpose, and then bring that together 
and that that realization came about two years into marriage. And, well, it was that yeah. one moment actually. Yeah. I remember we were doing so we do a lot of corporate training. So we're working with this large Fortune 500 company and um, Alberts and Safeway. And I remember we were there mm -hmm. working with their heads of HR, and we had this really profound moment where it had been four hours because we're doing these trainings for a very long time. And so I was leading this training. I think it was like three hours in, and I was just hungry. Like I get hangry, yeah. and I was like. Oh, like baby. your girl needs it's unreasonable bar. it's so Watch unreasonable it's, <laughs> like, girl is hungry i was like all right well bren's gonna take over and he didn't know that i was gonna have him like jump up and do this but he's been so passionate about the discovery and application of purpose right. that he just went right into it he didn't even stop so like i'm out there like you know grabbing a snickers bar and brian's in there talking about purpose and it was the most profound element of the entire two-day training mm. because we had this moment where we asked um, one of the individuals there uh, uh, what one life event, and that's one of the elements of, of um, your purpose factors, what we call your origin story. Yeah. It's a moment that most shaped your perspective. And one young man um, volunteered a story and said that that moment that most shaped him was when he was coming home from class and college, opened up his dorm room, and his roommate had a gun barrel at the back of his throat getting ready to commit suicide. Mm. And that moment completely shaped that young man's life. And he was working as a bagger at this grocery chain and then realized how important work is in helping someone find their identity mm -hmm. and find meaning and worth. Like at the end of the training, everyone's just ugly crying. Yeah, Gabrielle, yeah. Gabrielle comes back from this, <laughs> this hangry adventure. She's and happy everybody's sticker bar, just like, why is everyone crying? It's like, it's like, did Dr. Phil show up into this, yeah. this training today? Uh, but, but no, what's amazing about that though, especially in corporate America, which can be a very stuffy environment and right. politics plays into it. And politics plays into every kind of organizational environment. But what, what happened was, as soon as he, that young man talked about his story, he's, I asked him, why are, you so, why are you so driven to help people? And he told that story, and nobody in the room knew it. Yeah. And the, the thing is, it's so easy to disrespect your colleagues when you don't know who they are, their authentic self, that vulnerable self. And what they've been through. And what they've been through. So once he shared that, the whole temperature of the room changed. Yeah. And we realized we had something because, you know, we know there are two factors that keep you know, employees longer at a company. And, and one of them is their bosses or coaches, not bosses. And they also have a friend at work. But then we discovered that third element that if they can attach their individual purpose, like he attached his individual story to what he does there at Alberts, Albertson Safeway, uh, that would be a third reason for him to stay highly engaged at yeah. his work. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. I, I, I love it. And I love the idea of passion. So let's get practical. How, how do we move past find your purpose and how do we find our purpose? What are the steps we need to take? What do y'all walk through us in your book? There's a part in the little thing you sent me about, there's a difference between purpose and passion. What is mm -hmm. that? They sound very similar. It's kind of confusing. What's the difference between purpose and passion? This is, this is a fun one. And right. uh, the passion is so overused today. Now passion, and we call it pull passion, is one of the components of your purpose, but it's not the first one that you start with. Uh, it's certainly not where you want to start, but passion is oftentimes semantically confused with purpose, passion and purpose, interchangeable, used all the time. It's overused. And here's the thing. The actual definition, according to Oxford Dictionary of Passion, is a barely controllable emotion. So when you take the, the, the definition and say, I'm passionate about ice cream, but you replace it with, I have a barely controllable emotion for ice cream, it doesn't <laughs> sound so 
reasonable anymore. Yeah. It's like the worst advice. It's the, wor- it's the worst advice. I actually ever, hate right? it. Don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually hate it. So, so with that, um, what, what I've found is that we actually, especially as a generation, millennials, especially Gen Z yeah. too, yeah. Uh, is that we're using the word passion interchangeably. And what we really mean is the word like. And a lot of people say I'm passionate about singing, but they have no proficiency in the skill set. And there's really maybe no hope that they could get better in that skill set. But that doesn't mean they should try for a decade to become a singer necessarily. Um, But since passion is semantically used with the word like, you have a lot of people who have been told, follow your passion, follow your passion. Well, if your passion is opening a coffee shop, but you're terrible at business, you're going to struggle for a long time realizing that that wasn't your purpose in the first place. And it's not good to live your entire life on the basis of a like. I mean, how many of us can go back into somebody's Facebook page and you go to their likes and their about section? I know. All right. Millennials, young millennials and Gen Z catch up. Facebook does still (laughs) exist. But if you go back into somebody's likes on their- where your mom is. Yeah, it's where your mom is. Your mom's hanging out, sharing articles from two years ago. Come on. Uh, Never mind that. So anyway, um, you go into their likes and you're like, Coldplay, right? What? What? Who likes Coldplay today? Well, because when they opened up their Facebook account seven to 10 years ago, they liked Coldplay. But, you know, I kind of look at it like that. A lot of us are using the word passion really in place of the word like. And you shouldn't make a lifetime decision on a like uh, it's not enough. And so when it comes to that process, yeah. um, there, are, there are four component parts to your purpose. There's your natural advantage, which is the role that you tend to play. Uh, there's your acquired skills, which you got through you know, life experience, education, work experience. There's your pull passion, the problem in the world that you're meant to solve. And then finally, there's your origin story, which Gabrielle was talking about in the context of that guy from Albertsons, that origin story, which is the moment in your, the moment that most shaped your perspective. Mm. Those four things, and that we detail all of this in the purpose factor, but those four things are what come together to give you the best idea of who you are and who you can help. Because it's not enough to know who. It's really not enough to know who you are. Um, Because I think a lot of people may have a good indication as to what their purpose is, but if they're not using it, I actually think they're more miserable than people that don't know their purpose. Because people who don't know have ignorance is bliss on their side. But once you know your purpose, there's a responsibility to use it. And, and so that's the whole next step is once you know it, how do you use it? We go into that too. But, uh, but that's an overview of, of how this works in a kind of a component fashion. Yeah, I, I, that's amazing. And, and it's, I love the four steps. I kind of want to walk down those. There's one that got me in there. Was it pull passions? Is that what, is that what it was called? Yeah. Yep. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Donald Miller and the Building Story Brand podcast and his whole company. But I, list, I was listening to one of his podcasts once and it was talking about mission statements for families, which is a lot of like what y'all were talking about. It's like your family should have a mission statement. You personally should mm-hmm. have a mission statement. He was like, and he said, I remember it clearly. He's like, imagine if your family or you by yourself lived or existed as a counterattack to an injustice in the world. It's like mm-hmm. something that you are up against, wow. whether it's poverty, whether it's uh, just a healthcare, whether it's saving people from coronavirus. Imagine if you or your family lives as a, as a counterattack to an injustice and how much purpose that brings. So kind of, kind of talk about that more, how something that you find yourself passionate about in the world plays into where you can fit your purpose. Yeah. And, and that's really what's so different about a pull passion versus just a passion, right? right. So as Brian said, a passion passion is literally defined as a barely controllable emotion while pull passion is a problem in the world that you want to solve when it comes to where you want to spend your time your career your effort 
I don't know about you, but I want to spend my time solving problems, not just having barely controllable emotions. So when we talk about pull passion, it's identifying that problem in the world. Now that problem could be anything from something like a huge global issue. It could be, you know, poverty or it could be a social justice issue. Uh, it could also to be a, a need in the marketplace. Like it really bothers you when people don't have um, fast enough Wi-Fi or when, you know, someone else is uh, doing comedy and you think that you can do it better. There are these moments in your life where you see someone doing something. And this is oftentimes what I'll tell people is if you aren't sure what to do, find um, someone who's doing something that you kind of want to do and see how it kind of agitates your spirit. Because when I started my career um, in this kind of generational space, I was sitting in the back of, of an auditorium. Someone was up on stage speaking about millennials and they were not millennials. They were not representing us well. And I think that it, it irked something inside of me that I was like, not only I can do it better, but people need to know the truth. Yeah. And so it, it changed my perspective because no longer was it, I want to do this because I'm passionate about it. It became, if I don't do this, people will not be served. Yeah. And so as Brian said, our, the journey of purpose, yes, it has four parts, but really it starts with asking two questions. It's who am I and who am I supposed to help? Mm. Everything in the marketplace comes down to who you're supposed to help. So if your listeners are like, I don't know what to do, I've, you know, I'm just finishing up my degree or I'm trying to, you know, select a major, I'm trying to, you know, go into an early part of your career, the, the biggest question you need to answer right now is who do I feel most drawn to help? Yeah. Who are they? What are their problems? How do they define their problems? And how can I specifically help them with those problems? Because once you start to recognize um, the faces of the people who you want to help, it becomes so much more clear about whether or not you should pick a job in consulting or accounting. You start to really narrow down what it is that you're supposed to do next rather than get overwhelmed by that decision fatigue of what do I do? Instead of asking what should I do, it's who can I help? Mm -hmm. And then you really start to get more specific about what that next step can be for you. Yeah, I think this is amazing. Go ahead. I think there's a further, I think a further point there too. She just said the difference between what, what should I do, which is all about me or who should I help? And if you need a definition for purpose, it's literally what's inside of you to help others. Wow. The definition of fulfillment is the result of helping others with what you have. The similarity in both of those definitions is the word help. See, a lot of people are pursuing happiness, which is a temporary fleeting emotion. But really, if you want long lasting kind of contentment in your life, what you're looking for is fulfillment. But fulfillment can only be had if you take what you've been given and use it to help somebody that you're, that you're meant to serve. Not just anybody, because we've all been asked to help our friends move. And we're like, no, I don't want to do that. Hire movers. But don't feel meaning <laughs> literally helping people with your purpose. That's where fulfillment comes from. Yeah. And we, we so often start with ourselves. What should I do? What makes me happy? What's my passion? And we incorrectly use that. And then we, we find out that, wait a second, why am I still not happy? Well, it's because you haven't figured out who you are. Yeah. and who you're supposed to help. And if you don't help others with who you are, it's impossible to experience fulfillment. I love that. Will you say again, just what that definition of purpose that you just said, what's inside yeah. of you to finish that? Yep. What's inside of you to help others. It's amazing. And I think that even goes back to y'all's first point of the natural tendencies or the natural gifts that you've been given. So what part does that play? How do I reach in and find out what my natural gifts are that I can apply those then to my purpose and help others? Yeah. And we call that natural advantage. So I think a lot of times people talk about what are your natural talents. And I think that that really 
incorrectly directs people because some people say, well, I have a natural talent for athleticism, for example. And so you pursue a career in a particular sport. And then when that doesn't work out, you're like, now what, who am I? And you start all over or a natural talent for singing or leadership, whatever that actually means. Right. So what we actually talk about what, um, is the power of natural advantage, which is the role that you tend to play. So it's really cool. You can actually identify some of these kind of elements really early on by really focusing on what role did I tend to play in my family or my group of friends. So if you think back to when you were like 13, 14, 15, that's usually when these elements are starting to percolate. So consider, were you the one who liked to organize events for people that you're like, hey, everybody, let's go over here. Were you the one who's like getting all of your friends on board with something or starting new projects? You were kind of the kind of entrepreneur minded type person. Um, Then you might be what we call the builder. We have five different types of natural advantage. Or you could be the one who likes organizing things. Like you were really neat. You like to make sure everything was labeled, put in its right place. You like to make sure that everyone was taken care of. You were extremely empathetic and you wanted to make sure that, you know, people were, um, were seen, heard and understood. That's another type. So really, if you consider that what type of person you were growing up, that role that you tended to play, that's going to help you get a lot more clarity about where you can go next because that role, whether you were the one who was, you know, leading or organizing or asking questions, um, one of them is we call it the truth teller because you're asking questions like why, like why is it this way, why isn't it that way, wanting to get down to the truth of the matter. Um, so we have a really clear outline in the book. I mean, we're working on assessment right now that goes with it to get clarity about what is that role that I tend to play because that's who you are in your DNA, and you're going to take it into relationships groups of friends, workplaces, and you're always going to be that guy or that girl. And once you get clarity about that role that you tend to play inside of an organization, a group or a relationship, it's going to help everything else really come to come to clarity as well. I think there's something really important for especially young people. uh, When we think about that distinction between what Gabrielle said, natural advantage, part one to your purpose factor. uh, And this idea of natural talent, I'm very careful with that word. If you put too much stake in the idea of natural talents, you may wake up five, 10, 15 years from now in an identity crisis. Because here's what happens. You rest on your laurels. Somebody says, well, he has a natural talent for throwing and catching a football. Well, it's all, here's all natural talent is. I don't want to make it more than it is. Here's all that it is. It's an early proficiency in a skill set. And that's all you should look at it as. And what, what you have in front of you, if you have an early proficiency in a skill set, is an opportunity to grow it. Because Christina Aguilera, for example, may have had an early proficiency in the skill set of singing. But if she never honed that craft uh, to the specificity that she has, she would not be who she is today. And so many people rest on their laurels and sit on this idea of natural talent and they don't improve it. And then they wake up at 28 years old and, and, and wonder, why have I never gotten a promotion since I'm naturally talented here? Well, it's because they didn't grow, number one. And number two, if you always thought you were naturally talented in one thing and that one thing doesn't work out, that's how you end up in an identity crisis. So if you're like, I have a natural talent for football, but you didn't get into the NFL, well, now you think that your entire life is over and that your best years are behind you instead of flipping the script on what your natural advantage was and using that to help people in your future. So I think it's very, it's very, very important to, to never rest on this idea of natural talent and just simply recognize it as an early proficiency in a skill set and then grow it if it matters that much. 
Yeah, that's great. I and I think I'm hearing the a common theme or thread, the golden thread, if you will, of know yourself. You got to know who you are, then you can lead yourself, and then you can lead others, or you can you can find your purpose. You got to know yourself. So, what what is step one in knowing who you are? What how do I know myself? How do how like what? There's a lot of tests out there. Do I take the Enneagram? Do I take the Myers Briggs? Do you five voices? What? How do I know myself on a real basis? Mm-hmm. rather than just knowing and identifying with I'm a number on an Enneagram, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Those are really great at identifying. Yeah, they're great better. tools. I, I'm not, yeah. I love them. They're, they're they're, great no, tools. no, 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 no. We can knock them a little bit if you want. <laughs> right, um, but, but the, uh, <laughs> but the, uh, you know, I'm a blue, whatever. Um, so, but the character traits, they, they help line identifying character traits, but they're not so helpful in identifying who you are. They're strengths yeah. finders. There's all kinds of different ones and I'm not knocking them. They actually do they help, help in terms, especially leadership, for example, if you're a leader trying to understand who you're leading, right. but um, who you are, I mean, it starts with what we talked about earlier. The first step is to determine your natural advantage, the role you tend to play, because that's the one that likely cropped up earliest in your life. And uh, the second one is then, you know, your acquired skills because you had to develop those over time through life experience, work experience, and education. But the starting point is to identify that natural advantage. And it's the best starting point. What's the worst starting point is passion. Because here's the truth about passion. Passion doesn't always exist at the beginning. You know, here's the thing. Remember, fulfillment is the result of helping others with what you have, your purpose. Right. But in the beginning, you may not be very good at that. So you may not produce very many results or very many life transformations. So passion may not exist at the beginning. But just because it doesn't exist at the beginning doesn't mean it won't exist when you do start getting good at what you do as a result of your purpose. So passion is actually the worst starting place. I mean, I know so many people in really inspirational graduation addresses and all that crap. They say, start with passion, follow your passion. But it's really dangerous advice because it can... it. it it can literally light you on fire in terms of motivation, but it can also burn the house down yeah. uh, if, you, if you've identified it incorrectly. So the best starting place is to discover, you know, what role do you tend to play? That's the first question in discovering your purpose. That's huge. I want to go back to something, Gabrielle, you mentioned earlier that, and, and we can just talk to college kids right now. You said you, grad, you went and got your master's, you achieved, that's awesome, but you graduated with a lot of debt but not with a lot of purpose or point or where you were going to go. So what would you say to the college students right now that are in that situation where they're having to take out loans, they're racking up debt, um, but they're learning, but it's not necessarily the practical stuff. I mean, what's your message to college students right now? Yeah, I putting myself back into that place, I had a mindset of um, looking at what was expected of me rather than what was right for me. And so I think that you can get influenced by a very well-meaning world, whether it's your parents, your mentors, professors, or even your peers, and starting to say, well, everybody else is doing this. And that's how I ended up going back and, and um, doing graduate work in something that was not only irrelevant to me, um, but really didn't help my career all that much either. But I was starting to hear those echoes of this is what you should do. You know, this is what's next for you. And it became almost a sense of identity that I was addicted to achievement rather than following the, the right path for me. So I would say if you're in that position and you're wanting to know what do I do next, what's the road in front of me, I think it really does start with questioning who do I feel most fulfilled helping? Who is it? Is it people that are like me? Is it people that are, you know, underprivileged? Is it children? Is it, you know, people who are my parents' age? Is it people who have experiences like me, people who don't have experiences like me? Start focusing on on the people that you want to help. 
Because once I recognize that everything in the world comes down to people, mm-hmm. that's when I started my company because I got obsessed with the, this idea of helping our generation um, be mentored and connected with people of older generations. Yeah. I learned pretty quickly that as a, as a company owner, I wasn't going to get paid by our generation in order to do that. So I, I kind of flipped the script on that and I went after my secondary audience, which was their employers. Mm-hmm. And so you get to a point where, um, and we talk about it longer in the, in the book of how do you identify who your audience is? Because you get clarity about their uh, who that person is, you know their names, you know kind of the the um, kind of archetype, the character of the person that you're helping. Then you get so much more clarity and be and you'll, you're able to say no to a lot more um, rather than just trying to try out a bunch of things. Um, it's this kind of like intern elliptical where you're trying out all of these things, hoping that something's going to work out, hoping that someone's going to pay you what you think you're, you um, should be paid or the opportunity you think you're, you, you deserve. Um, it's a crazy cycle. Yeah. And so you, you can't, at that age, I think that people underestimate the ability for you to have clarity for your future. Because where I started when I was graduating my uh, undergrad and then I had started a job in between my undergrad and my graduate degree time, um, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. It's not ultimately what I wanted to do, but I knew what I wanted to do. And I think that that singularity of focus is going to be a superpower of anyone who's listening. Even if it's not ultimately what you want to do, you're not married to your career. You'll have 12 different careers on average throughout your lifetime, but you will not win if you are a generalist. You will win if you're a specialist. That, that's a really good distinction, what you just said right there. Yeah. This idea of generalist versus specialist. You know, when it comes to solving big problems or even small problems in the world, you don't go to a generalist who kind of knows a little bit about the problem. You're looking for people who know exactly what the problem is and have a specific solution for it. And by the way, specialists always make more money than generalists. They always right. do. Look at doctors, you know, whether you're just internal medicine or if you're like a retinal eye surgeon. Retinal eye surgeon is going to make more money than the family practice. Um, but the, the point is, is that specialists do. But it's also there's another distinction that uh, we've been researching a lot lately is that there are two categories of people. There are those who make plans and there are those who follow plans. Those who can successfully make a plan and develop a path by which something is accomplished or a personal discovery is accomplished, those who can make plans, craft plans, know if that plan is going to work, those are the folks who are going to be more successful. Because here life, especially in America, is the best in the world at giving us plans to follow. But when that plan doesn't work and you don't know how to make a plan, you just run through your life looking for somebody else's plan that kind of fits onto your life. But uh, those that have that cognitive ability to say, wait a second, back up here, what is the right plan? That's the idea of what we did here with Discovering Purpose, is we wanted to give you the ability to chart out a plan by which you discover your purpose, use your purpose to help others, and then get all those mental blocks out of the way that keep you from actually doing it. Um, But there is a difference between specialists and generalists, plan makers and plan followers. And you want to be a specialist and you want to be a plan maker, not a follower. Yeah, I, that's great. And I think the, what you were talking about, Gabrielle, is a lot of the people in our generation is just following this cookie cutter mold. It's like purpose is not, there's not just a Gen Z purpose. It's like y'all's right. generation is just this. The millennials purpose was this. It's moved on. We've passed that. The Gen Z purpose is this. But instead you're finding your personal purpose and, and that's what people miss. And, and once you find that personal purpose is whenever you're able to move forward and be able to live that life of fulfillment where you're not walking around in the, the narrative void where you're not living a story. And, and then you get to, to make that story. I don't know. I love it. I, 
I just, I, what's the next step? So you find your natural advantage. You know your origin story. You, you find the injustice that you want to be a counterattack to. What do we do from there? You, you, I think I've identified my purpose. Do I just go? Do I just run? Where, where do I go from there? Well, it really comes down to three things. Man, I'm giving away so much. Right? <laughs> I know. I'm giving like, away so do much. Do we need to leave a so, cliffhanger somewhere? Oh, oh no. Oh, there's ten. Oh, no, I can. I will just, you're still going to want it because there's so much more <laughs> yeah, beyond, okay. what we, uh, beyond what we're giving. But it really comes down to three things. People, problem, solution. Okay. That's the execution side of things. The, there's the four, four parts to discovering your purpose, but then there's people, problem, solution. And it's people first. Gabrielle indicated to this. Um, your origin story actually highlights the people that you're drawn to. Um, usually it indicates whatever that thing was that you went through, it could have been a trauma, could have been a personal failure, could have been something else that most defined your perspective. That also helps you identify your audience in a really, really big way. So that's why people is first in terms of, you know, your execution steps, then it's problem, then it's solution, because there are no solutions without problems. And there are no problems without people. So you start with people first. So you determine that audience either broadly or specifically, then you identify that problem that they have that you're best equipped to solve. Hmm. And then third, you're going to move into crafting a solution to solve that problem. Um, now there's a whole lot of specifics in terms of how you go about doing that, but those are the basic building blocks to the execution. And I think that's another place that a lot of books, if they do do an okay job with discovery of purpose and even execution of purpose, they stop there, but that's still a big mistake because there's also a big mindset issue with a lot of people. Our minds are giant memory banks of good and bad things. And the bad things are what hold us back. Our bad habits are what hold us back from achieving that which we know we're supposed to achieve. But a lot of people attack that on the surface. They attack it at the habit level. I got to change my habits. I got to stop eating. I got to stop being, uh, what, you know, having an unreasonable emotion towards ice cream. I get, that, that's a habit question. Yeah. But before you get to habits, there's a belief question. Not your worldview, not what you believe about, you know, how it was created and all of that. I'm talking about your beliefs about how you live your life. So if you have an uncontrollable emotion towards ice cream, then you believe it's okay to, have, to eat ice cream whenever you want. That's the belief. So if you're struggling with something that's holding you back from achieving what you want to achieve, the goal isn't to identify the bad habit. The goal is to identify the belief in your mind that led to the bad habit and attacking the belief, not the habit. If you change the belief, you'll change the habit. So that's a, a preview, if you will, and a picture, if you will, of how you go about executing on your purpose and then getting out of your own way. Mm, that's it. And, and like you said, it's a preview. So that means it's a small snippet of what you need to read in the whole book. If you're listening to this, go find the book. Where can we find it? Where can we get this book? Great question. Purposefactorbook.com. Purposefactorbook.com. Available at Amazon, of course. Uh, Barnes & Noble um, as well. Um, available for pre-order. Coming out really, really soon. Very, very excited about it. Um, it is uh, truly... Um, I can tell you with confidence, it's the most practical purpose discovery process ever created. If you need to know your purpose, you know someone that needs to know their purpose or is struggling in some kind of season of transition, whether it's job transition, life transition, a relationship transition, and they're asking those big purpose questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Does my work matter? Do I matter to others? That is who this book is for. Uh, and uh, purposefactorbook.com. That's where you can grab a bunch of copies. Yeah, as many as you can. Just stockpile them and start handing them out to your yep. friends. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Guys, we're running out of time. But 
like we end all of our episodes, I want to ask you both, just what would you tell your 20 year old self? If you were to look back, what advice uh, would you give to that 20 year old millennial looking in that crowd that's looking onto their purpose? What, what would you tell them? Yeah, I would, I would tell myself to stock success. I, I think I was almost too proud to admit that I didn't know what I didn't know. I think I knew it in theory, but not enough to get around the kind of people that would transform me from the inside out. And so I would say, make a list of those top people that you want to be around, people who are living the type of life that you want to live, making the kind of money you want to live with the relationships that you want to live and, and get around them, do whatever you can to kind of be in their wake, because there's one thing to read about them, one thing to watch their interviews, one thing to, you know, maybe tweet at them or whatever, but, but being around people, I think really transforms you. And so I I really wish early on that I had that um, kind of wherewithal to push past some of the, the frustration and the isolation of being someone with big dreams, but not a lot of mentors. Cause I, I didn't have, really have any mentors of, of any kind of official capacity and it's something I really longed for, but instead of complaining about it, I wish I would have just made it a point to be around the kind of people who I want to become. And once you discover your purpose and I'll add to that too, but once you discover your purpose uh, and you have an idea of somebody that's living out a similar version of it, modeling is critical. It's, yeah. it, you know, a lot of, people spend, early on, a lot of sure. people spend a lot of time trying to get rid of all the bad crap in their life, but they spend no time trying to model what is already working for someone living a similar path. Mm-hmm. And it's better to identify that number one, top three people that they can model uh, to achieve success, get around them. And if you can't get around them, make them what I call your third party mentors, the ones yep. you haven't met yet, read everything they do, watch everything they do, try to understand the details behind the curtain. Uh, that's one piece of advice. I think it's really, really good. The other thing is don't put off discovering your purpose. There is a kick the can mentality when it comes to purpose. One of the things that we outline in the book is what happens in a typical life as someone puts off purpose and all the reasons they put off discovering their purpose. You know, as they're leaving school, I got to focus on getting a good job right now. I don't have time to do this. Well, I got to focus on raising my kids. Your job is your purpose. That's true. I think that's something that Brian and I, we, we wrapped up our purpose in our, in our, in the platform of whatever job or career we were going after, assuming that one day we would make it Mm -hmm. and then we would somehow have permission to use our purpose. But until then we had to be like the little underlings, like making coffee runs. Um, and which we did and you know that's we paid those dues yeah. <laughs> for sure but. so but it's it's don't put it off i mean i think um you know we've heard people say before like um you know it's hard to discover purpose when you don't know what you don't know but that's total crap it's it's not true no matter how young you are you know, if you're over the age of 15 heading towards 18 or you're heading into college or leaving college, there is no better time to discover your exact purpose because it is the filter by which you're going to make so many critical life decisions. And I think there's a lot of influencers out there that kind of parrot this talking point. It's kind of the, the, the throw the spaghetti at the wall and see if it sticks talking point, but it really isn't good. You know, go try this. Gabrielle called it that intern kind of elliptical. Try this, try this, try this, try this. Well, what happens if you do try 28 things and you're not good at any of them? And instead, you could have gone back to the beginning, determined your natural advantage, identified some of those early proficiencies in your acquired skills, and had a much better idea on maybe the one to three things you should have tried instead of the 28 things. Uh, And I think that's uh, probably the advice I would give. If you are in school right now, leaving school, starting school right now, right now is the time to do it. I tell people, discover it before you choose a major, if at all possible, because I know so many people that we've helped 
uh, in our in our programs or people that have had early access to our manuscript that um, they wish they had known this stuff before they chose their college major, their master's focus, their PhD focus, because they realized in hindsight that they weren't necessarily aligned with who they are. And now they're having an identity crisis after all of these degrees that they've gotten. And yeah. so don't put it off. That's the, that's the advice I would give, um, you know, figure it out right now. I love it. Well, Gabrielle, Brian, thank you so much for your time. Go buy the book, the purpose factor, go get as many copies as you can hand them out, find your purpose before it's too late. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, yeah, man. thanks for having us on.